So we are in the book of Acts, in the fourth chapter, and we're going to continue right where we left off, because uh, we left off right in the middle of something, right? But wasn't I good? I stopped and everything. Didn't make us keep going, right? So, uh, hey, high five, Howard. Good. All right, so uh, here we are in chapter four, and Peter uh, is uh, explaining here uh, you know, what has taken place, and, and he's gotten, actually, that you know, in chapter 3, we're still, chapter 3 and 4 go together. Actually, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5 kind of all go together. They take place in a very short period of time, just a few days, right? And it's the very beginning. This is like, you know, the very beginning of everything. And so we know that the, the, there was a man who was, who was lame, born lame, and for years and years and years, he would lay out there asking for money. And, you know, someone brought this to my attention, that uh, that means that during Yeshua's ministry, he must have walked by this guy, like over and over and over again. Isn't it interesting? But it was in God's time that when Peter, you know, when the Ruach had been poured out, when the Spirit of God had been poured out, that he was going to be healed as a demonstration that Yeshua was still alive. So it's kind of interesting. To, uh, to think about. Someone brought that to my attention. It's kind of interesting. Uh, and, uh, and then he gives this great speech, and I w- have been saying, this is the good news for Israel. This is, this is about the restoration of Israel, and we should learn how, you know, how to uh, communicate the good news with our people by looking at these speeches. But you would think at the end of it then, okay, then it's like, then uh, people will all receive this, and it'll be great. But what happens? They get arrested, right? So it just goes to show you that no matter how well that we share this good news, conventional wisdom will be that it's not good news, okay? And so that's kind of important. Now, thousands of people of the Amha'aretz, of the people of the land, were coming to believe. But the institutions... We're not accepting this. And remember toward the end last week, I I said that is an important lesson for us to learn. That when we share the good news, that it's people, just common people that come to faith. You know, the institution, the Sanhedrin, they felt threatened by the whole thing, right? Uh, Regardless of the message, regardless of the fact that uh, this man had been healed, regardless of any of it, the institution what felt threatened by these outsiders. But yet, your everyday Jewish people living in Jerusalem were really paying attention uh, to this, and many were coming to believe. And I said, isn't it just kind of like today? You know, we're expecting all the institutions to suddenly, to, you know, suddenly or very slowly, you know, to say, oh, this is okay. No, it's not the institutions. The institutions will feel threatened by something that they don't control, or that is new, or that is outside of their purview. But people who have needs in their lives and, and uh, desire to, to know God, that's a different story. And you know, uh, speaking of that, there's an interesting uh, story about Theodore Herzl. Theodore Herzl, if you don't know who he was, he is a, sort of like the godfather of the state of Israel. It was he who had the vision for Zionism in the 1800s. Uh, and it was he who formed the, the Zionist Congress and the beginning of the plan of making Aliyah and moving to Israel and founding the state. And, 
And uh, he, you know, he did that all in the, really in the 1890s, and he died in the first uh, decade of the 20th century. But it's his picture. If you've ever seen a picture of uh, May 14, 1948, uh, and you have uh, David Ben-Gurion and, and all the others sitting at a long table in a room, and they're signing the Declaration of Independence, and you notice there's a picture on the wall of a guy with a big black beard. That's Theodore Herzl. That's who he is. Okay, so anyway, uh, he wrote a book called The Jewish State, where he like laid out his vision and what he had done. And so it's very interesting. First, he went to like the uh, the wealthiest Jewish people in Europe, like the, the Rothschild family, the, the wealthiest of the wealthiest families in Europe, the power Jewish people in, in Europe. Right. They wanted nothing to do with this plan. They didn't want anything to do with any kind of a land uh, for the Jewish people in, you know, in Eretz Yisrael, in the traditional uh, home. They didn't have anything to do with it. Why? Because they were very comfortable where they were living in Europe. And they didn't want to be perceived as like not patriotic citizens. Like, what are we doing? We're uh, forming a, a nation somewhere else. We don't want to be viewed as, as, as that kind of people. And uh, this went on again and again and again and again. And so Herzl, he, he spent a lot of energy going to Jewish institutions, wealthy people, the movers and the shakers, right? But where, what happened? They all, they reject, there was reject, we don't want to have anything to do with this. Where did he find his support? Down below, among the different, uh, you know, groups of Jews uh, living in Poland and Lithuania and Russia and you know, as well as England and France and so on. So when he had the first Zionist Congress, the first Zionist Congress, you had all these Jews coming from from all over the place, like little shtetls, you know, in Poland and, you know, and elsewhere. And it wasn't the, the, uh, the powerful people. It's a great story. But, and it reminds me of this. It reminds me of this. Yeshua was an outsider. Peter and John were outside. We're going to see today how they were considered. They were outsiders. They were not part of the institution. They were mistrusted. They did not have the, uh, they, they did not, they were not heavyweights. Yet God had chosen them to make all the difference in the world. And that is a great lesson that we see from these early days. Okay. Uh, so, Peter and John are arrested, even after giving this stellar, stellar speech uh, about who Yeshua is. And it's really good news for Israel, right? And we talked about it, that, that it was the Sanhedrin that, that basically uh, came against him. He was arrested and, and that the uh, Sadducees uh, didn't like this talk about resurrection because they didn't believe in resurrection. And they were the, the real power of the, they were the leaders of the Sanhedrin. Okay, they didn't like this talk of resurrection, and the uh, Pharisees who were under they didn't like the talk of Yeshua. <laughs> they thought they they got rid of him. Uh, you you know that he was uh, vying for popularity and power, so they did not like this message. It wasn't that they didn't like the idea that somebody got healed. That was that was good, but they didn't like the words they were saying. They didn't like the name of Yeshua. And remember this, Yeshua's name will always be a stumbling stone. Yeshua's name will always be a stumbling stone. John and Peter, they were active in the temple. They showed up for prayer. 
Uh, Peter gave this stellar uh, speech, yet they were still mistrusted, disliked, and arrested. Okay? Important lesson. Okay. Uh, and so uh, we see here that, so they're, they're, it's interesting, they're arrested, but it says in verse 4, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of, it really means people, the number of men came out to be about 5,000, yet they were arrested. The Sanhedrin didn't like them, but 5,000 more people on top of the 3,000, uh, you know, came to, uh, came to believe. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, right? We'll take it. And so we see that, you know, the rulers, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, all who were of high priestly descent, who did not like talk of resurrection, right? Remember that. But when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Ruach, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, uh, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known. You know, it's great thinking with the way uh, Peter says this. He says, so, so let me get this straight. We're on trial for healing a man who you have known for years and years and years as like laying over here asking for money. And we healed him, and so we're on trial for that. So we're on trial for that, let me tell you. By what name? Uh, he has been healed. Okay. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, to everybody, that by the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Nazarene, you know who he, you remember him, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Okay, sort of like, he doesn't just stand before you. He stands before you in good health, okay? And remember that he says, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, you remember who I'm talking about. He is alive. He is whom God raised from the dead, right? Uh, by this name, this man stands before you. He is the stone which uh, was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very chief cornerstone. We talked about that last time, the stone. We talked about that last time. Now, in verse 12, right in the middle of this is where we stop. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So there's two very important things that Peter is saying here. First, he uses the word salvation. Salvation, right? And we said last time that salvation does not refer only to saved from hell or, you know, going to heaven when I die. All right? That is one, one piece. But when Peter uses the word salvation, we have to understand how did the people understand it? What did salvation mean? It was holistic. As one writer called it, it's not just about the soul, it's about the whole. That's good, isn't it? You like that? You know? Uh, about the whole of us and the whole of, indeed, the, uh, the, the, the world. And so that salvation refers to deliverance, deliverance of this world from darkness, 
being uh, reconciled to God, being a new creature in Messiah, being the men and women that God called us to be from the beginning, right? When Yeshua was raised from the dead, he was raised from the dead in this world, not like in another world, right? So he was raised from the dead in this world, and it signaled the beginning of the restoration of the world, okay? And uh, in his name, we see this lame man being healed. And what Peter is saying, in his name and in his name only is this deliverance that we all can experience. We can all experience the deliverance from the authority of darkness of this world to one uh, level or another, right? Now, it's quite clear that, um, uh, and we read it all over the place in the Bible, and especially like uh, Paul says in the book of Romans, that we're looking forward to this salvation. We've received it, but we're looking forward to it, right? The uh, resurrection of our bodies, the resurrection of this world. But we all receive the forgiveness of sins. We all are reconciled to God. We all can now be delivered, so to speak, from Egypt uh, and come under the authority of God and his benevolence and his calling in our lives, right? You know, there are many places in the Bible that talk about it. I'm going to mention one place in the Brit Harashah and then go to a place in the book of Isaiah, uh, and we'll see kind of how this is described. So uh, in... um, uh, Colossians, the book of Colossians. In fact, we talked about this in our uh, Chavurah groups on Tuesday and Wednesday. This past week, this verse, we're in Colossians. We've come to this verse. For we have, uh, it says here uh, in verse 13 of chapter 1, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. He's bought us back, the forgiveness of sins. So it's interesting that when we read this, we've been delivered, rescued, right? Rescued from the domain of darkness. So I I think oftentimes, and I myself do this, talk about the darkness, darkness versus life. But we must not skip over uh, the word domain of darkness, okay? Domain means authority. It's a word for authority. Domain, dominion, authority. That's what it means, okay? from the authority of darkness, and transferred us, taken out of us, to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So no longer are we under the authority of darkness, but that power has been broken. Looking at it, and, and you know that the, you know, the, uh, the Egypt experience, the Exodus experience, sort of overlays, or undergirds, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, a lot of what we read in the New Covenant, you know that, Right? And so just as Israel was redeemed from the authority of Pharaoh and all that that meant, and came under the authority of God, the kingship of God, even though it was in the wilderness, even though they didn't know where their next meal was coming from, even though it was actually pretty difficult, they were under the authority of God. Now they could begin to be the chosen people. Now they could begin to be the people that God had called them to be. They had been redeemed. They had been bought. They were free, but not free to do whatever they wanted to do or, or free just to have like um, uh, no troubles. They had lots of troubles, right? But they were free to serve God. 
They were free to begin to fulfill the calling for which they were given uh, in their lives. They were free to now have hope. They were free to, to know uh, that God was going to bring them to, you know, uh, to the promised land as a, as a people, right? Uh, and so in Messiah, uh, we have been freed. We have been delivered from Pharaoh, from the Pharaoh of this world, meaning a way of thinking, a way of living, and of uh, powers, and no matter what, whatever it may be. And we have been uh, delivered. Now, sometimes, because we're still in these bodies, right, we're kind of in this a tug of war a little bit, and that we're still, we still live in this world. Right? Do we still live in this world? Yes, we do. We still live in this world where there is pain and there is sorrow and there is difficulty, right? But like Paul says in, in his own life, like in 2 Corinthians, for example, this is a good example of this. Chapter 4, I think, because I just came into my mind there. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he says about this treasure that we have within, the life we have within, right? In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it's a great passage right here. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels mean vessels that don't last forever, right? That the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. You know what? Perplexed is a great word. It means like we're confused. Uh, I, in fact, I once heard a message uh, that someone gave on this. And, you know, years and years ago, years ago, I lived in Buffalo, New York. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the winters uh, that we talk about, oh, 20 years ago, we had a, that happens like five times a year there. Okay? You know what I mean? So there's nothing like driving down the road and suddenly you can't see anything but white in all four directions. You can very quickly lose your sense of direction, of like where straight is, you know, and, and all of that, right? And so there's perplexed. Like, have, right? have we ever been perplexed? Like, I don't know what's going Like, you get hit like a ton of bricks with something. News of some sort. I don't know what. It's like the room is spinning, right? That doesn't mean that, oh, no, I don't believe in God anymore, or my faith is weak, or I don't trust anymore. No, because look what he says. Perplexed, but not despairing. We can be confused, but I'm not despairing. Why? Because I have been delivered from that. Delivered from the authority of all of that. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Yeshua, that the life of Yeshua also may be manifested in our body. And he talks about constantly being delivered. So it's not about nirvana, you know. It's not about living on clouds or anything like that at all being delivered. But it is delivered from a way of, a way of life, a way of thinking. And the wonderful thing is, is that from time to time, in the providence of God, he does a miracle and we can see here is proof of the presence of the future. It doesn't happen all the time, but God does it as a testimony. He uses people as a conduit to bring it about as like, here's another exhibit 
This is the future. So when the lame man was healed, not all the lame people were healed. Not everybody there was healed. It's quite obvious, right? Uh, by, by what they say, this great miracle uh, took place here. And what is it? It wasn't just pointing to something in the future. The miracle of the lame man being healed wasn't pointing to something in the future only. It was manifesting the future in the present time, you see. And that's what those miracles were, a very manifestation of the present time. But for the major, the vast majority of it, the deliverance is not necessarily a physical healing. It could be, but not necessarily. We cannot make these kind of demands on God, okay? Uh, but rather that uh, I am released from the bondage of despair, the bondage of depression, the bondage of no hope, the bondage of being crushed, because I have a living hope as Peter himself. You know, when you read these, everything he, he said here, it's important then to read First and Second Peter because he like almost like comments on it, you know? That in, in First Peter chapter 1, what does he say? We have a living hope. It's based on the resurrection of Yeshua for the future, but yet there's a present manifestation. And what does he say there? He says, even though for now you're encountering various trials, be encouraged because of what is indeed coming. And when we have a hope for the future, it affects the way that we live now. It affects the way we carry ourselves. And that's very, very, uh, very important. Okay, so, so the salvation is like the salvation of everything. Uh, it is actually not only the salvation of human beings, but of a new heaven and a new earth. The resurrection of Yeshua signaled the be- in this world signaled the beginning. Now, we don't see that yet, but that is coming. And by the resurrection of the Messiah, we now we see that this is coming because what did Yeshua do in his death and his resurrection? He broke the power. He broke the power of the enemy. He broke the power of darkness. See? And so now the light is available indeed to all. Then he also says here, now I'd encourage you to read, by the way, N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, because that talks a lot about what salvation really entails. That our, remember I gave you, some of you own that book because I personally gave it to you for reading the whole New Covenant. Remember that? Maybe about five years ago, four years ago, something like that. And it's been sitting on your shelf because it's kind of thick and I don't want to read it, right? Okay, read it. It's really good for you, all right? Because he talks a lot about this idea uh, of living out the future now, aspects of salvation that we experience today living it out now, okay? And it's a very, uh, very encouraging. It really gives a real meaning to everything that happens in our lives today. And, and so let me just say this. In terms of that issue of, uh, you know, we're saved, that, you know what that means? That means that every single thing that happens, every single thing that happens in our lives is significant. It's significant. Uh, whether it be by way of testimony, wh- wh- whether it be by way of our own personal growth, in any event, because we are... We have received the salvation. And whatever is taking place is, is what it is doing. It is causing us to draw closer in experiencing more of the salvation of a God. And how we react and all of that 
uh, makes a difference in our own lives and the lives of the people around us. Because when we're going through difficulty, that's why, what is it, you know, rejoice in various trials and so on and so forth. You can read that in Romans chapter 5 and James chapter 1. It produces something in us. It doesn't mean that we think whatever's happening is good. That's kind of living in denial, <laughs> okay? You know, uh, praise the Lord, I broke my leg. I would not say that, okay? I would not say that. I would say I broke my leg, but however, God is sustaining me, you, you, you know? And that becomes a testimony, and you can affect the people around you. And when you realize that, that if, if I really believe and live, to live as Messiah and to die as gain, let me repeat that. It's in the first chapter of Philippians. To live as Messiah and to die as gain, then whatever happens in my life is all about Yeshua. And that is, see, that's like, that should be like a vision for us. Are we all there? Of course, we're not all there, you know, but... As we live and as we move forward, this is the attitude of the apostles. And, and it should be the attitude of, uh, of uh, all of us. Now, in uh, verse 12, he not only says that in Yeshua we have salvation, but he says, but in no one else, in no other name. I'm going to suggest that what Peter has in his mind is Isaiah chapter 43. He is saying something very powerful here about uh, Yeshua. So we need to read the beginning and the end of the chapter. Okay? So the beginning of the chapter of Isaiah 43 says, But now thus says the Lord God, your creator, the Lord your creator, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. But, uh, but evidently, you are going to walk through the fire. Uh, nor will the flames burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together in order that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen in order that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, therefore there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there is no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am he. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? There is no other name under heaven than the God of Israel. There is no other Savior under heaven. 
Then the next few verses describe specifically deliverance from Babylon. But then in verse 22, it says this, Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob, but you have become weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifice. I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me no sweet cane with money, neither have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifice. Rather, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. State your case that you may be proved right. Your first forefathers sinned, and your spokesmen have transgressed against me. So I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary and will consign Jacob to the ban in Israel to revilement. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant. And he's going to go on. And so what you see here is that God is the Savior of Israel. Israel doesn't appreciate the, uh, the, the salvation that God is providing. And so you're going to suffer, but then you're still my witnesses, but I'm going to redeem you anyway. Uh, and at the end of the story, there is, of course, obviously the redemption. But the point here is for us is that Peter is saying there is no other name under heaven for salvation, for deliverance, right here in Isaiah 43. That is what God is proclaiming to, to Israel. He's saying Yeshua is the deliverer. Yeshua is identified with Hashem. Yeshua is identified as the Lord God of Israel in whom there is no other name. So it's a huge thing that he's saying here in Acts chapter 4. And, you know, and it is kind of interesting. And in, in a little farther down in, in Isaiah chapter 52... In verse 7, a passage that's very famous, we even sing a song sometimes uh, to it. In English, it says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness. You know, literally, it's good news of good. Good news of good. Tov, what it says. Who announces salvation and, and says to Zion, Your God reigns. So here we see who announces salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is the good news of uh, the good news of good, uh, the good news of peace, of shalom, shalom for the world. You know. So we're going to say, well, what is salvation succinctly? It is shalom for the world. Who announces peace? Who announces uh, salvation? For here, shalom and uh, Yeshua are uh, the same. Um, uh, it's very nice, very nice parallelism there. And says to Zion, your God reigns. And this is what Peter is indeed uh, saying in Acts chapter 4. So Peter, I believe, is very aware of these passages of consolation, as they're called today, in, uh, in Isaiah. Uh, and so very, very important there. So, so, there's, so when we say there's no other name under heaven for salvation than Yeshua, we are really uh, saying that here the God of Israel has manifested himself in, in Yeshua. You have misunderstood him. You have come against him. Uh, you even killed him. But he's still alive. He's raised from the dead. And he is doing, he healed this lame man. You can't keep him down. That is what 
Peter is saying. Now, remember that in chapter uh, 2, he said that you crucified him by the predetermined plan of God. Peter understands that, that this was all part of the plan. And in saying that you crucified him is so that they remember that you thought he was dead, but he's alive. This is good news. Your God reigns, announcing peace, announcing salvation, wholeness in, in life. Okay, so now that's what he says. Now the people, now in verse 13, it says, now how do they see him? How do the people that were listening to this see him? Like the, the, uh, you know, the, the Sanhedrin, were they impressed by this? Now they observe the confidence of Peter and John, the boldness. That's what that means. The boldness of Peter and John. Like they were really confident in what they were saying. They're speaking to the Sanhedrin. They're speaking to the teacher, to the scribes, the Pharisees. They're speaking to the leaders of the temple, the teachers, and all that, right? You know, it'd be like uh, the the feeling that if... uh, Now, I've never been in these shoes, but if any of you have an earned PhD... You know, you have to, at the end of the day, you go before the Sanhedrin, right? You've done all this work, and then you have to sit there before, you have to make a defense, a defense for, for what you have. And it's all in their, in, in their hands, you know? It's kind of intimidating, I would imagine. Uh, intimidating, right? Or I, I will say that uh, many, many years ago, uh, in, in my own experience, being ordained, uh, I was ordained an olive tree congregation in Chicago, a Messianic congregation still there. And uh, so there was like a committee, and I had to write out like a doctrinal statement. And the uh, people who were on the committee were uh, people from the school that I went to, Moody Bible Institute, uh, and then people that, uh, you know, from several Jewish mission organizations that were, you know, kind of high level, uh, sit there and answer questions, you know? Uh, I remember that. That was, uh, you know, no small thing. Uh, And so here, Peter and John have been arrested, and they're like under the gun, so to speak, but they're confident in what they're saying. They're not like, well, you know, remember Peter beforehand running away? Now he's a whole different person because of the presence of Yeshua inside of him. Because it is Yeshua who's, who's manifesting himself in Peter and John. In, his, in their words. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Now, that's an interesting statement. They were uneducated and untrained men. What does that mean? Okay, first of all, it doesn't mean they were like, uh, you know, ignorant people. They can't be ignorant. Peter was, is quoting from the Psalms and, you know, the Torah and... Uh, I mean, saying some very sophisticated things here. So it can't mean that they were like stupid people, okay? So that's not what it means. The first word uh, means, in, in this context, that, that they were not rabbis. You know, they, they, they didn't have the credentials, right? Uh, they, they were untrained. And so they're kind of coming out of nowhere. And then also, uh, as it says here, uh, I mean, uneducated. The first one is uneducated. Uneducated and untrained. The second word, the word that's used for untrained here, was also used of people that we would say, to use common vernacular, it's not a term we often use here, like lay people, 
You know what I mean? Like they didn't, they, they, uh, they, they did not, they were not trained. They didn't go to school. They, uh, they don't have the credentials and they don't hold positions. So basically is what it's, they don't have the credentials and they don't hold positions. Who are these guys? Right? Well, you know, what's kind of interesting is, uh, that in the, uh, gospel of uh, John in chapter seven, you read something kind of interesting of, uh, an accusation of Yeshua. In verse 15, the Jews therefore were marveling, saying, now this is about Yeshua, okay, in John chapter 7 and verse 15, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Isn't that interesting? It's like the same accusation. How, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Yeshua therefore answered them and said, my teaching is not, from, is not mine, but from you know, him, who is, who, him who sent me. Okay, so here you could say that here Peter and John is filled with the Ruach, and as a result, and what do we read in, in, I believe it's in the 16th chapter of John, that the Ruach will teach us all things. Does this mean that we should, you know, we should put down education? Obviously not, right? Obviously not. But the point is here is that God used these guys they were Am Ha'aretz. Am Ha'aretz means people of the land. Okay? They did not have religious credentials. They were not trained. But God used them to turn the world upside down. Right? Uh, and uh, wow, uh, that should encourage us. Right? That perhaps God might use us in the same way. And not view ourselves as deficient. But rather find our confidence in Him. Uh, and perhaps, you know, now remember that this is the perspective of the Sanhedrin. Peter and John had been under the tutelage uh, of the greatest teacher of Israel that there ever was for over three years. And that is Yeshua himself. And so they might not have had the credentials uh, that were recognized uh, by the Sanhedrin, but they had the credentials of being disciples of Yeshua. Disciples of Yeshua. And you know that we ourselves need to recognize that God can use us as, as uh, disciples of Yeshua uh, to learn from him and to know these things and to be able to go with confidence and, uh, and be able to uh, share this message to whomever. So it says they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Yeshua. So that's kind of interesting. They were marveling. They couldn't get over it, right? Uh, and they recognized that, wow, you know, they're kind of like him in their teaching, in, in, in their presentation. You know, may we, may we be recognized uh, as, wow, you know, there's something different about the way you're speaking. A certain kind of confidence, you know, and, and really uh, a, a certain kind of word. And then it says, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. In other words, what can we say? Here he is. He is in good health, right? But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
So here, they don't know what to do, right? They don't know. Here's the Sanhedrin. They don't know what to do. They haven't done anything illegal. Uh, people are listening to them, and a miracle has clearly taken place, and that's what they, they say that. They do not think that they're charlatans. They do not think that, the, that they pulled, a, you know, pulled a, a rabbit out of the hat. Presto changeo. Remember that? Right? Uh, uh, or, or anything like that. Uh, that. The person is really healed. A real miracle has taken place. What do we do? We don't like Yeshua. We don't like what they're saying, but they did a real miracle. And people are glorifying God. What are we going to do? Well, next week, we'll see what they do. Okay? Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Right? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I will just say this, that just uh, in, in closing, may we have the confidence of Peter, the fisherman. You know, may we have that confidence because we, with our testimony of knowing Yeshua, we can speak to kings and prime ministers and presidents, you know, and people in authority and proclaim the name of Yeshua. We may not win them over, but they'll have to figure out what do we do with these people? You know, what do we do with them? They're making a difference in people's lives. Peter's, Peter's goal was not to like be on the Sanhedrin. Peter's goal was not to get the Sanhedrin to like them. His goal was to proclaim Yeshua to whoever will listen. See, as, as we'll see what he says next week. Uh, and, uh, and so may we take a lesson uh, from that. Uh, and may this challenge us in, you know, in our uh, testimony uh, as well. Exciting stuff here in the book of Acts, isn't it? All right, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, thank you, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, um, recognize that when we embrace you, we do enter into your salvation. We have been transferred from the authority of darkness, maybe not, maybe not the entire experience of darkness, but the authority of it to your authority. And so, Lord, we live under your domain. We live under your kingship, Lord. And so even though we may experience the, dark, the darkness of this world in our life, may we realize that it does not have to control us. It does not have to control our thinking, our worldview. Lord, may we experience you know, release, release from depression and, and fear, Lord. And may we live a quality of, of new created life, no matter what our physical circumstances may be, Lord. And may we remember that, and that it's in Yeshua, the Savior of Israel, with whom we have to do. May that great truth in and of itself give us the confidence to speak boldly and confidently about the victory of Yeshua. We pray in Yeshua's name.